Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. We are in the Renshaw home, Jerry Renshaw's home in Alpine, Utah, and we're with members of the Alpine um, 12th Ward. Um, our guests are Bishop Todd Barney, the Bishop of the Alpine 12th Ward, Sister Catherine Tucker, the Relief Society President in the Alpine 12th Ward, and um, Sister Geraldine Renshaw, who's um, a Relief Society teacher in the Alpine 12th Ward. And none of us are here as official spokespeople of the church, so don't listen to anything that's said here and say that's church policy or that's the way it should work. This ward um, leadership has just been willing to come on the podcast and share some of the things that they're doing in their ward. And as I became aware of some of the things that they're doing, I thought it would be really wonderful if more of you, our listeners, could hear some of the things they're doing. They don't claim to be perfect. They don't claim to know all the answers, um, just like none of us do. But I think as we share ideas and counsel together, ideas will come into your mind. Um, Sister Catherine Tucker offered a prayer before we recorded, and we hope that things that are shared in this podcast will help you, and that maybe even things that are not said will come into your mind that help you in your area of influence to help us all come under Christ. Um, the kind of the theme of this podcast is a question that Bishop Barney asked in Ward Council. Bishop Barney, we just, we'll get to the question. We just tell our listeners what the question was you asked in Ward Council. Uh, the question was, I just wondered if everybody in our ward feels like our ward is a safe place they can come and worship. And so that's the theme of this podcast is, does everybody feel safe? And um, just by way of introduction, um, Bishop Barney has um, been bishop for a year. His professional career is in construction, school construction. He's a return missionary from Kobe, um, Japan. I was going to say Korea, but that would be wrong. It's yes. Japan. Um, he has six, he and his wife, Kathy, have six kids and six grandkids. And um, Catherine Tucker is, as I mentioned, the Relief Society president, has five kids and no grandkids yet, and has been her assignment for about three years. And we're going to talk about how Catherine took that question at Ward Council and really got serious about it and has really done some wonderful things in the Relief Society that have also been done in the whole ward. And also with this is Geraldine Renshaw, who I've known for several years. She's been on one of our podcasts before and just a wonderful woman doing wonderful things. And I didn't, if my notes are here, I'd forgot how many kids and grandkids you have. <laughs> I have four children and nine amazing grandchildren. There you are. And we're in your home on a wonderful January night. Um, maybe we'll ask Geraldine just a question. We're recording this on January 29th and the online handbook was just announced today. That'll be maybe old news for you, our listeners. But there was a quote in that online handbook. Will you read that for our listeners? Yes, sure. I made note of this because I thought it was a really a definitive statement and one that um, we could talk about tonight. It said, quote, we know there is room in this church for everyone, end quote. And that was in the, the church's statement announcing the handbook changes today. And I think the date is actually January 30th. Richard. January 30th. I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm a day off. Yesterday was January 29th. Um, and I, I am involved with a lot of people who are kind of in the wrestle with a lot of things that they've learned about the church. And I think that this is a really interesting thing to talk about because I think not everyone feels like that there is room for them in the church. And I think as leaders, that's what I see my ward leadership doing is trying to 
trying to make room for everybody to feel like they have a place in the church for whatever reason that they want to attend. And I love that, you know, the things that Jerry just shared and the things that are in that church announcement. And that's really the theme of this podcast, which is exactly what um, Bishop Barney was willing to ask. Can you give us the backstory, Bishop Barney, of what led up to asking that question in Ward Council? Yes. Um, you know, I had been I had been bishop for just a short time, uh, three months. I was called, I've been bishop now for a year, a year and two or three weeks. And I knew that there were wonderful people that had come to our ward in the past that for whatever reason weren't coming either at all or as often they weren't engaging as much as they had in the past. And I, um, I, you know, felt bad about that and longed to have them come back and join us and wondered if there were reasons that they didn't feel comfortable to be with us. Was that an agenda item on the ward agenda, ward council? What caught, was that... Was it very spontaneous, or is it something you've been thinking about and um, stewing over, whatever verb you'd use? <laughs> it it was something I'd been stewing over, and uh, so I, I hit my ward council completely blind with it. Even my counselors didn't know that I was going to ask that. I didn't know if I even knew I was going to ask it for sure. I'd, I'd wanted to, and I just felt that it was the right time to do it. And so I, I went ahead and asked the question. And Sister Tucker, were you in ward council? Yes, I was. Tell, take us back to Ward Council. What was that like for you? So I was just sitting there listening and mostly. And um, then he asked that question. Bishop Barney asked that question. And I just sat straight from my chair and got very excited about that because that's something that I had been thinking about a lot and talking about with my Relief Society presidency as well. And so I definitely was excited to hear the question. Why had you been thinking about that? Well, okay, so this was last. This is over a year ago, but I've been in for a year and a half or so as as the Relief Society president, and this has been a time of a lot of change. When I got put in as the president, it was Relief Society looked like it did in, in you know in the old days, I guess you'd say. And in the course of my time being in, everything's changed. All these changes, ministering to our church. All that stuff is happening. You happened. got a crazy assignment. Yes. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so things I finally were calming down and I'm like, okay, so we've got the whole administration part of this down pretty well. And when people are, you know, need a meal, when there's someone has a surgery or, or something like that, we know how to, we've got it, the systems in place to take care of those things. So I started just thinking, what else should I be doing? You know, now that I've kind of got a handle on these things can I be, be more proactive, be reaching out, figuring out how to make things even better in our ward rather than just, you know, putting out fires or administrative stuff. And so I'd been thinking about it and praying about it and um, found some different sources that made me think, made me realize that people do have a lot of struggles in the church that I'm not aware of, you know, and lots, lots of challenges that are a lot harder than mine. And so I just thought, well, I want to start doing something more to reach out to people. Awesome. Do you, did anybody answer your question, Bishop Barney and Ward Council? Did everybody just kind of put their head down and go, I don't want to talk about that? Or <laughs> did people talk? Well, Sister Tucker, Catherine spoke, was, was happy about it. I think there were a few others. And then there are also people that were less, um, you know, thought it was less of an issue, maybe something that didn't really 
you know, need to be part of our concern. Maybe, maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but they weren't as worried about it as others. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's always those that, and rightfully so, want to make sure that everyone feels safe, even those that are more orthodox in their belief, um, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, have testimonies that are just very strong and, you know, we need to have space for them too. And they, you know, they were worried about that a little bit. Is there anything in your background growing up or just your experience that caused you to be aware that some people may not feel safe and just your desire as a bishop to make sure you're hearing all members? Yeah, I grew up in a family where my parents uh, weren't very active. They're wonderful parents. We had a great family. We spent a lot of time together camping and riding motorcycles and and just had a great dad. But he uh, smoked and drank and was just he was awesome. I am so fortunate to have been raised by him and, and his, you know, I've sort of raised by a pack of brick masons, these, these Barney brothers that were the best, most honest, caring men in the world. Um, but they didn't come to church. And so whenever my dad did come for whatever reason, I, I went to church, I had friends that kind of sucked me into church and I always was, I was fairly active. If it came down to motorcycling or church, I went motorcycling. But um, for the most part, I went to church. And, and this is Southern Utah yeah, motorcycling. This is, yeah, this isn't this isn't Hurricane Utah. Um, so I, I just I, whenever he did come, he looked so uncomfortable, and and was just not happy at all to be there. And I don't think anyone would ever come up and talk to him. And I think it was a little bit self-imposed, but he just really. Uh, was uncomfortable being at church because he felt like because he wasn't living up to everything that he didn't feel like he should be there. And was I, he in the back of your mind when you asked this question or just kind of a general uh, life experience? Yeah, he was a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And at the end of word council, did it generate any action items? Did anybody say, I'll go do this or I'll go do that? Or was it just more of kind of an open discussion that didn't necessarily immediately lead to anything? No, it led to something we we decided that we would make it the topic of a fifth Sunday. Um, and so we made plans. Um, I think one of my counselors jumped in and we started to make plans for how we could um, present material to the members of our ward um, about things that they could do to make everyone feel safe. Does anybody want to talk about that fifth Sunday? Who took the lead on that or um, was it a team effort? Bishop's so. pointing at you, Catherine. <laughs> so, warning to everybody, if you speak up about something, you end up having to do things. So That's why I look down in Ward yes. Council. <laughs> but, no, I ended up, um, so the fifth Sunday, we decided to do that, and then I ended up uh, being asked to come up with the topics, like what we would talk about. And we decided we wanted to do it into small groups so there'd be a better chance for discussion. So we thought we'd split into three groups and actually put people in different rooms and then have the presenters or whatever you want to call them move from room to room so that the, we go, it would go faster. And so we just um, talked about um, unconditional love and safety, feeling safe at church and inclusiveness were kind of the three um, divisions of this topic that we used. And was anybody here one of the teachers, or were they other people? Yeah, I did the safety at church. So tell us about that. And you, this is so you probably you had to give this three times within yes. an hour. Yeah. So you had like 15, 20 minutes or something like that. 
Yeah, it worked out to be more like 10. We were hoping because we you move her. Okay. Yeah. So we we, about 10. Over. Yeah. So it was quick. Um, but yeah, so I was trying to just get as much as in there as I could, you know. So we just talked about or I talked about some different aspects of how we could help each other feel safer at church. Um, and some of those were, uh, let me see here. Sorry, I gotta look. Um, I talked about Elder Bednar's talk on meekness and the idea of meekness being that we are genuinely looking to learn from other people, no matter what their station in life might be. Or, you know, I kind of branched that out to political persuasion or, you know, all those different things so that we can genuinely learn from anybody and, and be looking to do that. And how would that look in church if I am trying to learn from everybody, you know, in the room? And then um, openness from uh, President Uchtdorf, just the idea of, you know, that we're we're at church to heal, not to hide our problems, but like the whole idea of the, it's not an obvious showroom, it's a repair shop, you know, so be more open with our own problems and struggles so that we can help each other. So ideas like that. Um, what was the response? And maybe you won't tell us that, it, you know, you're maybe too humble to say that you got positive feedback. Well, you know, I thought it was positive. I thought everybody, people seemed to enjoy it. Um, the one response that really mattered a lot to me, which made it worth it, was later on, like during that week, somebody came and talked to me and and told me how just that we'd done that made that person realize, oh, maybe other people feel the same way that I do. You know, and so if, if, if it didn't reach anybody else, but one person who it really made a difference to, I thought that was awesome. So I was excited about that. That's cool. I've always felt like, you know, some of the counsel I got was when I was an elders conference and I couldn't affect everybody's life, but maybe I could affect just a couple. And that seemed more attainable to me in this huge calling. And so when I hear stories like that, that makes me happy. And I would guess that that topic signals to people that, okay, I can talk to Catherine Tucker. If she's going to do a lesson like that, even though it may not specifically be exactly what, you know, the topic, but the whole principle that I can talk to her and I can open up to her. Um, Geraldine, did you go, were you there in town this day or did, or did, I think you were out of town. I was, I was out of town and they did do a follow-up. Were you going to talk about that? In Release Society, we had a follow-up kind of on those subjects. And for me, probably the most important takeaway that I felt like the Release Society presidency was stressing that day is that we can learn from people that were that are different than us, that see life differently and have had different life, life experiences, and that there is value in including those voices in our discussions. And I want to come back to more of that. Um, any, did you go to some of these fists on, did you, were you, were you at interviews or did we able to go, um, to the different breakouts, Bishop Barney on fifth Sunday? I, I did. I went to all three. So I was just sort of trying to keep the clock and, <laughs> and, uh, I spoke a little bit in, in, I don't know if it was the beginning or the end when I had my wife speak a little bit and I spoke, um, but I listened to, to all three. And the three topics were love, safety, that Catherine just spoke about and inclusion. Do you want to talk Bishop about your thoughts about any three of those? Um, it just, yeah, a little bit about inclusion and how some people, um, some people's testimonies are not as strong as others, obviously. And so there are people who sometimes have questions that they want to ask or, 
or um, you know they're unsure about some bit of doctrine, but they're they're afraid to say that because they don't want the person who's who has a very strong testimony to just bear a strong testimony to them as sort of a you should if I just say this with enough power, you're just gonna it's gonna change you and you're gonna believe it. Um, so we wanted to sort of change that idea to say maybe for that person who does have the strong testimony, we want we want them there as as bad as anyone, but we would like them to maybe talk about experiences they've had in their life that have made their testimonies strong and help and help others to, you know, move in that direction as well. What caused you to develop that sort of thinking about this issue? Well, um, they're just varying levels of testimony. And I think it's Elder Holland that said, you know, like at the amusement parks, there isn't a, a, a sign that says your testimony has to be this tall for you to come into church. I mean, it's like, the smaller your testimony is, the more you need to come and be with us. And just concern for people like that, that, that don't feel completely comfortable because they don't feel like they can say that they know everything uh, in their testimony is true. Any thoughts for listeners that don't have an, I know the church is true testimony. What would you say to them? That that's why we come to church. That's why we have church. That's why um, we should be able to come and, and work through those things. And, and be exposed to feeling the spirit because that's the only that's the only way, as you know, uh, people learn is they hear truth and they feel the spirit, and that's how that's how we all gain testimonies. And if it happens enough, you know, we get very strong testimonies. I love that. Any more thoughts about any of these topics? Love, safety, or inclusion, Bishop Barney. Um, the, the one thing I do want to say is that um, at the end. We did also talk a little bit about not being offended because that's one of the things that happens is people are offended because someone isn't as, as kind to them as they should have been. And just trying to, to help people understand that that's, um, that's not the Lord's way to be offended and that it, will, it won't help them and that they need to try to look past that and forgive on all levels. And have you gotten negative, positive feedback from ward members about this first, fifth Sunday where you did these three breakouts? There were some people that just were concerned that we were um, maybe pandering too much to people that, that didn't believe as, as well. And they were concerned about doctrine, and we all are. We don't want to, we're not, we don't want to change the doctrine. We're not trying to, to minimize the doctrine. It is, it, is, it is there, and it's strong, and it's wonderful. Um, we just want to help everyone understand it and, and have experiences where they can feel like it's something that they believe and that they want to follow. Yeah. And I, I would guess sometimes you might get comments like we don't want to go light on the doctrine as we talk about love, safety, and inclusion. Any just follow-up thoughts to that? Um, just that there are people that are concerned about that, that are deeply concerned about that and they need a place too. They need to be heard. They need to feel like they're, voices are heard and we certainly welcome their thoughts and, and hope that we can, um, we need them. We need them to strengthen others. And so we want everyone to be there. That's great. Um, let, I'm going to ask Catherine and Jerry for thoughts on these three topics, just, um, love, safety, and inclusion, Catherine and then Jerry, any other thoughts on those? Um, just one thing that I'm thinking about right now is the idea of inclusion for everyone and that was something I we really tried to emphasize on that fifth Sunday and then the Relief Society lesson later on and in conversations with people is the idea that 
we really do want everyone to feel like they belong and not like trying to make one group feel more belonging by making someone else feel, you know, alienated by doing that. So that we have to find ways for everybody to be able to be here because we really do need everybody. You know, and one thing that I came to believe and through this process, um, I started out wanting people to come and be with us for their sake, you know, that they could be here with us and feel comfortable with us. Um, but the next part of that, that I came to realize is that we need them. We need everybody here, you know, for the body of Christ, we need all the parts. And so it's not just that we want you to come because you need us. We need you, you know, we really do need everybody and we have to figure out ways to work together to accomplish God's work. Love that. Jerry. Um, thank you. I love what both of you guys have said. Um, I also remind myself often because I, I am in a lot of um, online spaces where people are struggling with things. And so um, I talk a lot about big tent Mormonism and how I want, in fact, I want to share something really quick here. Good. In Isaiah 54, 12, um, it says, enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine inhabitants. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. And I really think that that works really well for the idea of big tent Mormonism, that when they stretched forth their curtain, it was moving them from a vertical to a horizontal position, allowing for a much greater area of shelter and refuge beneath the tent. And I love that idea that there's place in the gospel of Jesus Christ for anybody that wants to be here. But I also often have to remind myself that it's not just making space for people who feel more on the edge of inside, but also there needs to really very much be a place for the people who are more orthodox and true believing to also be able to, um, you know, be honored and validated. And I, I actually think that's a really beautiful thing. Like I don't have a problem with people bearing testimony or sharing something that I may see and feel very differently about, but I really love that people can share that and that I can experience that. And I think if we can get to that place where we can really honor that we're not all having the same experiences. And even in that sacrament meeting, if we could really figure out what everybody in there, we're not all the same, what they believed and what they thought and what they know, or what they might bear testimony to, it's not all the same. And there's probably more variants than we realize, but we kind of have you know, certain ways that we're brought up in the church of how we bear testimony and what we say about what we believe and what we know. So I, I just think it's really important. And that's like, you know, Richard, a big effort in my life to try to make safe spaces for people. I love that. And I think we, I love what you read in Isaiah about the tent and just your visual that is created in our minds. You're in a lot of online spaces with people that, um, want to figure out a way to stay in the church that are kind of whatever we're going to call that a faith crisis. Um, and a lot of those people kind of need safe people to talk to what, if I'm a local leader and I want, and I'm aware that there may be some people like that in my ward and I may not even know who they are that are kind of privately going through just having a lot of questions, but are nervous about opening up. What advice do you have for local leaders just to be able to, not only have those people feel safe reaching out to you, but then if you want to, what you'd say to them if they do reach out. 
That's a really great question. I think, um, I wanted to say that I think there's a difference between understanding someone and validating someone. And I'm going to use you as an example, Richard, because Uh I watch you engage online and Richard has a gift for being able to step right in when someone's maybe expressing pain or something that's hard and validate them. He may not feel the same thing. He may not even agree with what they're saying, but he has a way of realizing that's a person who's hurting and he steps right in and validates them. And it's really an incredible thing to watch. And I think if we can, I don't expect when I share things about this journey that I've been on for the past seven or eight years, I don't expect everyone to understand but I do hope that they can at least understand that it's my experience that may be different from theirs and validate that it's part of my journey, you know? And so I think that's probably the thing is that we don't have to understand. We don't have to feel the same. Maybe we even want something different for that person, but that if we can just make them feel validated, it will make them feel accepted and included and like there is a place for them. And that's what I feel actually in this ward. And it's, and it's not what everybody experiences in the church. And I, I tell people all the time, I wish you lived in my ward. (laughs) Catherine. Yeah. um, So I want to, if I can answer that question a little bit as well, Um, from my perspective, um, when we first started these conversations about is our ward a safe place and what should we do with the fifth Sunday? I, um, said to the bishop, I'm going to go talk to some people. And he says, great, you know? And so I did go out and it was really hard for me. This is not my comfort zone. This whole calling is not my comfort zone. And so being on a podcast is, oh yeah, this is so comfortable. (laughs) I'm loving it. But It was just so, it was scary to me. You're doing a good job on the podcast. I'm teasing you, you, Catherine. Keep (laughs) talking. Yeah. But, um, so I actually, I'll, I'll use you as an example as well, Richard, because listening to your podcast, is a great example of how to listen to people and um, to seek to understand them. And so I was listening to your podcast and like, okay, especially a quote that you had one time, you said that you've gotten comfortable being uncomfortable, which I thought was awesome. I stopped the podcast and wrote it out, wrote it down wow. so I can remember it. I probably stole all, that from Charlie. Well, <laughs> wherever you got. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so it's okay to be uncomfortable and go do these things. And so, but to go and um, as, as the, uh, leader in my ward, go and talk to my friends and try and understand their experience. It was really, it was really awesome. It was, um, it was a cool experience, very great connection Did and you do that one-on-one? spiritual. Yeah. Yeah. So I would go, yeah, I went and talked to several different people and, um, just, I found when you, if you ask someone like, I think I'm again, stealing from you, the idea of help me understand your experience um, in our ward. And, um, what a great so, open-ended question. I love, yeah. isn't it yours? The, I don't know. I, if it was, I stole <laughs> I it from somebody sure. else. I don't know. I don't have any original material. Okay. I don't know where <laughs> I got it, but I heard it somewhere and I'm like, Oh, that's a great way to put it, you know? And so it, going in and actually talking to some people one-on-one was just a really great experience and helped me really understand, the things that people are experiencing that I don't experience. And it was really important. Did some say that's the first time anybody's asked or did some say, did you get some feedback like that? I don't remember saying that's the first time anyone's asked, but yes, I got very positive feedback about having the chance to, to talk about things and share their experience. Why did Um, you go alone and not with somebody else? 
Uh, well, honestly, if some of them, it just kind of had, like I was going to lunch with one of my friends and I, and it just turned into that, you know? So it wasn't necessarily, I called and made an appointment. Hey, can I come and talk to you about these things? You know, it was, we were at lunch and she just, um, it just went that direction. And she was really sharing with me the things that have happened to her, um, in our ward, which were eye opening to me. Some and, of those then were positive things that were difficult, um, but she no, felt, they were not, she yeah. felt okay opening up to you. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's kind of hard to hear. It's a little bit sad to hear that those things do happen in all wars. And, but that's the way it is, you know, as we're all people making mistakes, you know? So, so it was good. I was glad I got to hear those things. And, and she did say, I pretty sure that she was you know, glad to get to share them with somebody that I was there and wanting to listen to her. It's great. I've, my experience is those conversations tend to happen more one-on-one than two-on-one. So I, um, I know I'm, it's easier for me to open up one-on-one than one-on-two. So sometimes I think of word conference visits, often it's two coming and that I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do, but sometimes it's, and those can be really helpful. I don't want to be critical of that, but it's sometimes it's one-on-one ministry. Um, it seems to be there's lines about that in the New Testament. So I really admire you doing that. That's really cool. And um, I sort of always thought some of the best work that happens in our church is outside of the four walls and just and it and just the natural conversations. I think I learned that people want to talk about the complicated stuff. I thought maybe I'm prying into difficult stuff, but my general impression is people with a trusted person like you, Catherine, or, or Bishop or Jerry, they're willing to talk if they feel trusted. Yeah, I think you do have to establish a relationship with people and that trust for sure. But yeah, I just want to emphasize again, so outside of my comfort zone. So anybody else who might be listening who you're thinking, oh, that sounds really hard and scary. You should still do it. Because it was hard and scary for you. <laughs> yes. And it pays off. You it's worth it. it. It's totally worth it. One of the questions I had in my mind as I started as a singles ward bishop to hear complicated experiences, it was sort of the first time I heard from people that weren't having just a great experience at church, like most of the people in my circle. And I didn't, and as I started to hear those conversations, I thought I didn't know what I should do. And I worried that if I validated their painful experience, it would drive the wedge between them and the ward or the church deeper. And I sort of, and I thought, well, no, I shouldn't. I should sort of, and I learned, and I don't know if this is the right thing to do every time, but it's certainly my experience is validating how they feel doesn't drive that wedge any deeper. And if they really feel heard and really feel like you've heard them, believe them, try to understand their experience, often in some situations, that's all they needed was just to be heard, to felt healed and be able to move on and sort of reconnect back to the church now, that's not true of everybody, and I wouldn't do that in a manipulative way just to, okay, I'm going to listen to this person really good knowing that this is my plot to get them to come back. I just, right. you know, I just wanted them to feel like I sincerely was willing to hear their story. Um, any more thoughts on that? Just principle of, I'd call it a principle of ministering. Any more thoughts on that? Well, I, I just have one thought that my stake president told me just a couple of days ago, and that is that there is no comfort in the growth zone. And there's no growth in the comfort zone. That's awesome. That's so, as, as Catherine yes. was talking about her discomfort going to talk to these people, we got such great feedback and we're able to, to, uh, to help them and to, you know, talk about these things in our fifth Sunday that 
I'm sure they weren't the only ones that had those, those feelings. And then another, another thing, just obviously Catherine is an amazing Relief Society president. She's going to be for another four years. <laughs> there you heard it. You heard okay. it here. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can pull that off, but I will, I will try is, is that, um, for whatever reason in, in our ward, at least the, uh, the, the women are better at this than the men. So our elders quorum is trying to improve and they're doing great, but they're not doing as well as the Relief Society. I'm not sure exactly why that is, except for part of it is that they, I think, are better opening up to each other and talking about their problems and, and just getting together and, and being real honest. And I'm not sure uh, that us men are as good at that as we need to be. Agreed. <clears throat> um, have you had, Jerry, do you want to circle back anything to add to this, this principle of ministering to the one and talking and validating? Well, I think I've been the recipient of some of those visits, and I just really appreciated feeling like there was somebody, Catherine, who was really interested in hearing from me and, you know, wanting to, and reaching out one-on-one makes that person feel like, you know, you matter to me. And we, you know, and we, we would like to learn from you. And so, um, and so that, you know, that's a pretty great feeling. And I wish that everybody in the church had that experience of feeling like somebody's really trying to connect with me, you know? You've lived in a lot of wards. How does this ward feel? I I'm obviously know how you feel about that. What's different about this ward for you compared to... Um, it is different. I lived in another ward in the stake that I had a completely different experience in, like night and day, a mile and a quarter away. Um, and I think the difference is the sense I get from both Bishop Barney and President Tucker is that they're not leading with fear. You know, they're leading with love. And I think there's a big difference in that. When we lead with fear, then I think we tend to be more rigid and these are the rules. But if you're really leading with love and wanting to just first be friends with that person and build a relationship. I mean, I've seen Bishop Barney reach out to other people in the neighborhood who are not necessarily even members, just even in an effort to be friends or do things socially. And it's not about church or trying to get them to come to church. It's a, it's an effort of friendship. And so people feel that when you, when that's offered to them and they know that. I love that. Any examples of leading with fear that come to mind? <laughs> well, I have lots of examples, but I probably shouldn't. <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've had some ne- very negative experiences with um, leadership where at one point I felt like I pretty much lost confidence in local leadership because of an experience I had an award. And my own husband served as a bishop for six years and I was award relief society president. So, you know, but it, it can go really wrong when it, you know, when it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. That's it's good. it's really hard. And I yeah, I have a little thought on that. Let me pull that up here. Um we're so, you know, in the church, one of the bittersweet aspects of Mormonism is that it really permeates our relationships. And when the church is working for you, it can be a really great source of, of joy. And when it's not working for you, it can be really tough and really a big challenge. And so I hear stories about people leaving the church or stepping away because they were offended. And I think that generally that's not really the reason. There's usually more to it than that. But I also understand that it can push people away if they don't feel like there really is a welcoming place for them in the church. If we think of our wards more of a hospital, you know, that all of us come there as imperfect and we enter in there, hopefully because we want to be there, you know, and then we meet people where they are and lift where we stand. 
Love that. Um, I really love that. We could end the podcast right there. <laughs> um, I want to go to, have there been other things since that, I'll call that the fifth Sunday breakout into three. Have there been other times where as a ward you've tried to, in a fifth Sunday or talks, have the essays ever come up in church? A lot of some local leaders are okay talking about the essays that address some of the more complex topics and some local leaders aren't. Uh, any thoughts on that for either Bishop or President Tucker? We're going to call you President Tucker for a little yeah. bit. That is your title. <laughs> well, we I, I think the next fifth Sunday after this, we did have the fifth Sunday on just to talk about the essays. And we just assigned uh, three or four people to to discuss a particular essay and let them choose which one they wanted and uh, just to stand up for a few minutes and talk about it. Um, partially just so people would realize that they are there and they're on, um, you know, they're in the gospel library. Because a lot of people, I think, don't realize that. More people than we think don't know that they're on the church's website and in, in, in your, you know, they're in your phone. They're in the gospel app. And uh, that was that was a good experience. And um, I think a lot of people were were surprised by some of the content that we talked about. We, you know, we had the primary. Which, do you remember which ones the, you talked the about? The primary president talked about polygamy, and it was great. Um, and but we actually had one person in our ward council who said, "I've looked at the essays, and because we're encouraging members to talk to their children about them, um, especially if they have someone going on a mission, because you don't want." a young missionary to show up on someone's doorstep and have them confronted with some of this information that's in the church's, uh, you know, websites and deny it or say it's not true. So we hope that any, any missionaries get exposure, but also just everybody. And, uh, that's the reason that we are trying to, to do that. And so I think a lot of people were, um, surprised the bishop before me did the same thing. He talked about, he had a fifth Good. Sunday on the essays and I could tell just from talking that there weren't enough people that acted on his um, his suggestions. So the release study president, I'll see if it'll jog your memory. The release study president taught polygamy. No, it was a primary president. The primary yeah. president taught polygamy. Do you remember who else, um, what other essays were covered? Well, the way I remember it was not so much the topic of the essays as we were supposed to do it with our family and talk about how it went over with our families. So I love that actually. Well, um, didn't you actually challenge the ward council to yes. read the essays with their families at home? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, that so our primary president, definitely it was the polygamy one, but she had a great, you know, she used the way she talked about it was how she'd been taught as a child from her parents. And she was all, what's the big deal? I knew this all along. So making it normal, making it more natural that we just talk about these things. And then, so there were three of us, others, I think, who shared our own experiences with how it went when we taught it to our kids. And it was nice because my kids are adults, hers were little, you know, and so we all had different experiences with it. Our, I think Kat and my wife and I talked about how we did it with our children. We had young, two, two twin boys that are about to go on missions. And so we just read them together and that wasn't effective at all. We were, we were kind of a fail. They got bored. <laughs> You know, they couldn't, you know, some of them are kind of dry. There's a lot of information there that isn't exciting and it didn't work well. I think I've heard of other families, President Tucker's included, that that was mine. That would yes. more ask, well, but but then fix that. And, you know, and, and uh, she, you know, they, she would read it first and then sort of teach it to her children and ask them if they had any questions. 
And, and then one of the people who spoke had a son who was about to go to South Africa on a mission and wanted to make sure he could talk about the blacks and the priesthood yeah. um, essay. And so he, he spoke about that and thought it was, you know, that was the one he chose to talk about and to teach his family. I love that. Were you worried about talking about this, that it would cause a faith crisis and people weren't ever aware of this information? Because um, some might be worried about making members aware of the more complicated stuff. Um, did that ever cross your mind? Or did you just feel like this is part of learning the the history and the and the teachings of our church? No, I don't. I don't remember ever being concerned that it would that it would prompt a faith crisis. Maybe if that's what you're asking. Um, hopefully, it would just prompt people to to kind of like go, "Wow, I better I better look into this and see, and see exactly what the church says." Yeah, just as a follow up to that, um, leading up to this fifth Sunday, I had. You know, the bishop and I talked about this topic, of course, and using it. And I had been talking to several of my friends who have kids the same age as mine, you know, 18 to 25, who were having serious faith problem issues, crisis, because they had learned these things other places and were struggling with it. So to, to I think, to me anyway, it felt like, like we have to, it's our duty to warn the parents of our ward that if you're not teaching this to your kids, they're, they're going to hear it at some point and they're going to want to know why you didn't teach it to them. So to me, I feel like we're, you know, doing them a service to let them know that this is happening and then, then you do what you want with it. You know, it's, it's your family and you do what you think you should do, but we have Love to at least that. let them know. Love that, Catherine. Shirley, any thoughts on this topic? I, I just totally agree with Catherine. Um, I, I think I'm really grateful that the church put these essays out. I think it was a pickle, a bit of a pickle for them, because I'm sure they worried that if they put this information out there, they would lose people. But the reality is with the Internet, by the church not putting it out there, they are, have been losing people. And so really grateful that they're there. And I feel like they're... It opens the door for us to have conversations because it's on the church website that I think we should be having, like both of them have talked about in our families. I have a big concern about um, it not being addressed uniformly and often in seminary for our youth before they go on missions. I have I know two young men personally from another ward who left on missions, great young men, both of them, and went both in the States and met up, like Bishop Barney said, with investigators with smartphones. And they were asked questions like, oh, you know, the founding prophet of your church had 30 to 40 wives. And they were like, that is not true. And bore testimony to them that it wasn't true. I was raised in this church and that's anti-Mormon material, you know? And so... And so I hope that we can better prepare our young people, because in a sense, I think by them not knowing these things, not being taught in their homes or by the church in seminary before they go, some of them feel like they were set up for a faith crisis. And that's tragic when that happens. So in this case, these two young men that I know of both came home from their missions and Googled and realized that what they had borne testimony of was not true. The investigator knew more than they had having been raised in the church and they're both long out of the church now. Wow. And so those are real stories that are painful, you know, and so we've got to do better. And so yeah. seeing my ward handle it that way. And the one member 
of the bishopric, wasn't it? Who talked about his son getting ready to leave on a mission. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that's so important. You know, that's so, so important. But first of all, that everybody needs to know they're there. So if we're talking about it in our ward and not all wards are talking about it, I would love to see the day when it's addressed from the pulpit in general conference more openly so that everybody in the church knows that they're there and are aware that this is coming from, you know, a, a source that's safe, that they can sit down with their family and look into these things. I love that. And um, I think you said, Geraldine, fear versus love. And I love, to me, a fear-based thought would be, we're not going to talk about this stuff. Um, so there's a lot of fear potentially in talking about the stuff that's in the essays, but um, there should be no fear. Um, because it's just it's just the doctrine of our church. It's what happened in our church and our church's experience. And some of that, I like what Elder Snow said in an interview I heard from him. There's some warts of the restoration as he was describing the book Saints. And I kind of like the way he framed that up. Because um, a wart doesn't, you know, it's just, I like that. But if you become aware of the warts and some are bigger than others as you're serving a mission. So, and I also love what you did, Bishop, and maybe with counseling with the word council is, you know, we're going to ask that we're a church, if I can say that right, we're a family-centered church-supported, if I said that right. And so I love the idea that the family leads on the essays, and I love um, us as parents getting experience not only know the content, but then the teaching it to our children. Because um, there isn't time in a, there's not enough meetings to communicate all the information about the essays. So it's probably got to happen in the family and for our sons leaving on missions, we've certainly, I was certainly grateful our seminary teachers did talk about the essays and our sons would come home and say, dad, did you hear what I learned? And they were learning it in a faith um, affirming way that was very helpful for them. So I, as listeners or in other words, I just think talking about the essays is um, taking the fear out of the history of our church and owning our, the history of our church is beautiful. Um, the story of the Restoration, the Prophet Joseph Smith, and the doctrine that came out of the Restoration is awesome. It's the foundation part of our testimony, but there's warts in there. Um, and I think to tell that story in an authentic way with the warts doesn't, um, to me, it builds faith because it humanizes our earlier leaders as they struggled and worked through things to to get the restored doctrine and the Restoration here. So I don't, I own it. I think it's great, all of it. Um, and it creates for me, even when I see some of the things that are warts, so to speak, it creates a more sustainable approach I have to leaders in our church as we may continue to generate warts, um, as we do our best. And that's why I like the quote you read right at the beginning of the podcast, Jerry, from the new handbook. And it's just an ongoing restoration. Any more thoughts from anybody on this subject of teaching the essays? I just am grateful. I, you know, it's probably something the past bishop, as he mentioned, um, did do a lesson on it too. It's probably something that should happen every couple of years because it's not always the same people that are going to end up in that lesson. And it had been done a few years prior, but it was clear that, you know, not everybody in that room was super well aware. So I think it's something that uh, some bishops are afraid of. I even know of a husband and wife gospel doctrine teacher who addressed, introduced the essays in a lesson and were immediately released from their calling after having done that. So, mm -hmm. so there is fear out there among some leaders. And I think approaching it 
you know, open, openly and embracing that this is our history. History's messy. All history is messy, not just LDS history. But, um, but I think, I think we need to be more aware. So I'm just grateful they've done it. President Tucker, why did you call Jerry as a Relief Society <laughs> teacher? <laughs> so that would fall under the heading of following up on what we've done with the Fifth Sundays. Because, you know, I think that was an, a starting place to talk about these things and let the members of the ward know that we care about this stuff and that we want people to feel like they belong here. And But that's, you know, talking the talk, right? And now what are you going to do to follow up and show that you really mean that? And so with my Relief Society presidency, as we talked about that and what we, do, what we could do in Relief Society, it was a lot about our lessons and how we could make Relief Society a safe place. And it, I mean, it, it is really good. We have a great Relief Society and people, I feel, are mostly comfortable saying what they want to say. And it's, it's great that way. But as it was time to get a new teacher in there, we had someone who got released to get to another calling. And so we're talking about who can we have do this. And our values for our Relief Society is that we want a teacher who can help everybody, who can value everybody's comments, who can make it a safe place so that anybody can say the things they want to say and, and feel accepted. And along the lines from most orthodox to, you know, being more nuanced, having more struggles. And so that's why I thought of Dara Lee, because she's great at that. You know, she genuinely values both all ends and, and everything in between. And that's what I wanted was somebody who makes everybody feel like we are glad you're here and we value what you have to teach us. So that's why. Wow. I, actually, that's really touching for me. Just the thought process. I didn't know to ask that question. I'm really glad I did. Yeah. And it's really, I'm just deeply touched with the reason you wanted to find that kind of a teacher and the role you have as a Relief Society president and the importance of your teachers um, to create that kind of environment. Um, yeah. And she's doing a great job. <laughs> how, tell us your thoughts. Have you heard that part of the story uh, of why you've been not, called, Charlie? Not exactly like that. No, not exactly. I mean, I think she said, kind of, you know, in enough of our conversations, she had said, you know, I know that you can validate, you know, people no matter what their belief is. So that was sweet. Thank you. Talk about just what you try. You have a lesson each time you teach, but just talk about your approach um, as you are trying to fulfill what that objective and what would naturally come to you based on what I know about you. That's sort of you speaking to other teachers in a way. If you want, what are you doing to try to help everybody feel like they belong in Relief Society? I I think this before I, it's not me, it's before I came in. I think this Relief Society really has the ability to be able to be pretty vulnerable and share. And some of the lessons we've had, the one, one where we talked about um, mental health and even suicide, we just didn't have enough time for all the comments people wanted to make. Like there was, there was so many hands that went up that really it was just about you know, letting people talk. And I just think that the most important thing is that people feel like they can be part of the conversation. And I think that happens really well in this ward. 
And I don't think it's just me. It happens in all the lessons. And I really love that, that people can, that, that, that place sitting in that really study room with their sisters is a place where they can share the painful things and the hard things. And there's tears sometimes and, you know, be a little bit vulnerable. And, um, it is a little different than what's happening down the hall in priesthood when I compare notes to my husband, which I think women in general are probably what, what lesson did that. you t- teach to generate that discussion about mental health? Oh, it was Sister Sister Obertos. Obertos, yeah, lesson from last general conference, which was really good. I mean, and she she gets very vulnerable and talks about how her own father took his life. And there was a lot of uh tenderness expressed in that in that discussion where everybody has a story, you know, it affects everyone's families somewhere. And some families have a history of generations of, you know, mental health issues. And the more we can talk about them and normalize them, then the easier it is for the people that are going through it. Cause there has been a stigma involved in, you know, any kind of mental health problem. And we're trying to, and I think that's why sister Alberto's talk was so great. And we're trying to, you know, do away with that so that people know that all of us at some point go through some kind of a struggle, you know, or know somebody, know and love somebody that does. Did it surprise you how many people wanted to talk once that lesson started? It sounds like hands were going up. Yeah, it did surprise me a little. I just wished we had more time. They did have a little gathering a week or so later of several women where they were just invited. If you want to come talk more about this, come. And I wasn't able to attend that for something. I can't remember what my conflict was, but they just, and that's the great thing that I think our release society presidency was sensitive to the fact that, gosh, this is like something we should talk more about. So when the lesson ended, they provided an opportunity for those who wanted to come talk more about it to do that. Talk about that, Catherine. Yeah, I just had that sense in the lesson that Jerry could not call on people fast enough and the hands were up and and so much um, good, honest sharing and um, helping each other, you know, was happening that I felt like we had to cut it off because time's over. So we thought, well, let's just send an email out and say, if anybody wants to continue this conversation, we're going to get together and at this time and feel free to come and and just talk, just, just continue talking. So we didn't organize it. Nobody was the teacher or anything like that. We were just continuing the conversation. Tell, tell our listeners, what did you go to someone's house? Did you go back yeah. to the ward building? No, it was just a, it was just during the day at um, at the bishop's house because his wife is my is one of my she's a secretary. It's and just a great example of being so. able to meet the needs to sense and meet the needs of women. Like you know, we should provide an opportunity, and not everybody could come to Release Society because some people are teaching in primary. Yeah, we actually things, did right? have, so, uh, yeah, one of the people who came, she saw the email and came, but she was in primary, so she didn't even get to come to the lesson. So it was great to get to hear from other people as well. And could I add one more thing about that? Just the thing about that lesson that was so great to me is in trying to feel like helping everybody belong and feel like they have a place. I feel like we've talked a lot about faith um, ideas here today, but just as important are those who are suffering from depression and anxiety or going through a divorce or, you know, any number of like health challenges. There's so many reasons why people feel marginalized or feel like they don't belong as much as other people. Mm -hmm. And we're really trying to be aware of all of those 
things, you know, and try and reach out to everybody. So that's why I loved it when Sister Alberto gave that talk. I'm like, oh yeah, we're using that one <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's really important. And Elder Holland had given a talk about uh, mm-hmm. mental health thing, but it had been years. And that talk still stuck in my head because it was so different than so many of the conference talks. So it was wonderful to have, especially a woman and, Mm -hmm. and be so vulnerable about her own experience with it. Like she really was such a great example. The Relief Society presidency, general Relief Society presidency put out this video about their board. And I can't remember what all the statistics were, but they went through all these women's lives, how many of them had uh, experienced depression a couple, one or two had been divorced, one or, you know, all these different statistics. Mm-hmm. And you realize that these women that are at the head of our Relief Society organization, they have lives like ours. They're not these perfect people that are immune to difficulties and pain. They're just like us. I love that word immune. That sometimes we get this expectation if we do all these things that we're immune to mental illness or we're immune to different things um, that just, yeah, have come into our lives that aren't sin-related or are fault-related. I love, I'm really intrigued because I do sometimes recognize the clock ends on a meeting, but people want to keep talking about that. And I just, I love what you did is that you just said, you sent an email out to the Release Society and said, we'll continue to talk about this. Come to a um, Kathy's home was it your wife's home mm-hmm. your home <laughs> same home just for our listeners the bishop and his wife live in the same house um, and and you didn't have a teacher I think sometimes we get so mm-hmm. structured sometimes that we it inhibits our ability to have these sort of conversations or we need to get through the lesson we need to make every point but often these are the kind of meetings that are the most meaningful is when people can share and open up and they were talking about it by the time the prayer ended, they were the Relief Society presidency had kind of gathered and wow. said, like, they felt like we need to allow this conversation to continue, you know, like right away. Um, my wife taught the same lesson and just, and did it, I think the same sort of experience happened. It was, I just wonder how many Relief Society teachers want to teach that lesson and the conversations that are happening. And I just think it's so needed. She opened up in uh, that lesson about one of our daughter's anxiety. And I think as a teacher, sometimes having being, this is back to fear versus maybe love or just fear versus vulnerability is sometimes like Elder Holland did in his broken vessel talk, he was vulnerable and he talked to, and we loved Elder Holland more. It's not like we Shared took him off the, experience. it's not like we took him off the pedestal yeah. we put him on. We actually... I'm speaking for all of you members of the church when I say we. I don't know if it's true for everybody, but I loved him more when he went there. And I didn't, my respect for him went up as he was real and vulnerable. And so I think not every teacher needs to be vulnerable all the time about everything. But if we can do that at times, it signals to others, okay, the teacher's doing that or the bishop's doing that or Elder Holland's doing that in an appropriate way, then I can do that. Any more thoughts on that subject before we... Can I just say one thing yes. really quickly? I have to say that we have two other amazing Relief Study teachers as well who Good. do the exact Tell same thing first as Jerry. So Don and Becky. Don and Becky. Yeah, they both do You're the same thing. Just, just that creating that safe space and 
and making everyone feel like they can say whatever they want to say. So we have an amazing team. So Dawn, Becky, and Geraldine, I'm going to make an acronym out of that. DBJ, the D, you know, I, the DBJ team of the I Alpine 12th Ward. I think there's something important about being able to share some of your own story. When I taught from Elder Suarez um, talk and, and said about my experience about having children leave the church, you know, I think that people could comment all of a sudden they knew something about me. And then maybe some of the things that were kind of tender or hard in their lives, they could talk about. And I noticed the same thing in our, um, fifth Sunday lesson, the Bishop had asked his wife, I understand just maybe shortly before the meeting, if she would get up and say a few things. So we're talking about the essays and she shared personally about their, one of their children who has left or distanced themselves from the church and how she talked about how hard it was at first and that there was kind of a sense that maybe she had gotten hold of some anti-Mormon material. And then we're talking about the essays in that lesson. And then she says, you know, these essays are on the church website and they're not anti-Mormon. You don't need to be afraid of them. And, and then she expressed that she wished she could go back and kind of have a do-over on a few of the things that she had said to her daughter. And then she ended it in the most beautiful way by saying, and now I realize I just get to love her. Like she didn't have to stand in judgment of her or criticize her. Her job as a mother is just to love her. And that's what she came to after going through what I imagine was probably a fairly painful experience the way I experienced it. But that example of the bishop's wife standing up in that lesson and sharing that about their family. So this daughter had grown up in the ward. So most of these people in the ward knew her, but she was being very vulnerable in sharing that. Right. And so I'm sure that there's a lot of other people in the ward now that feel like they could, if they needed to reach out to either the bishop or his wife and share what they're going through. I love that. Any thoughts on that? Well, that that, is, that is, has happened. There have been people who have come who, who because Kathy was so great at expressing how um, she handled the situation and how we handled the situation, that people have come and talked to me about their own children and about their own concerns and and uh, and you know ask what they could do better at this. And you know, I don't. We certainly don't have the, all the answers, but just having experience helps um, to 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 do what. Kathy eventually said is just, yeah, just to love beautiful. them and, and, uh, don't, don't love them like you're trying to get them to return to church. That's not part of the reason you're loving them. You're loving them because you love them. And that's how, if we treat everyone like that, I think it, it helps. It's great advice. It's great advice. Thanks for sharing a little bit about that person. I think that makes us all more real when we're open mm-hmm. like that. And I do love where we're doing things like that, that, that signal to our ward um, or the people who have stewardship responsibility, okay, they're pretty real and they've or open up with some of their experiences and the church leaders just don't need to have this perfect life. I think then it makes it say, okay, and open up to Bishop Barney. I can talk to President Tucker. Um, I'm making, I just had a bring block on your last name, but that's right. It is Tucker. <laughs> yes, um, correct. <laughs> and so I think that's great. Um, any more on that subject for us? A new question. Um, what do you, you know, one of the questions I've been thinking about is um, some members are coming to church, perhaps without a temple recommend, Bishop Barney. And um, and sometimes I think we create this culture potentially that it's sort of you need to get to the temple or there's just not a place for you, you're going to leave. It's sort of there's no middle ground there. And I think we all love 
the temple and we want everybody to feel the blessings of the temple. But occasionally there's a member that just says, this is kind of where I am. I'm, I'm, I'm at peace being an active member of the ward and participating, but it just isn't part of my journey right now. Any thoughts about just creating space for members that are somewhere between, you know, wanting to go to the temple and participate in the temple and leaving? Yeah. It's one of the, you know, if you have LDS, uh, tools, it's one of the lists that you can see is the, is, is uh, endowed members without a recommend. And so you can see who, who's had one and who now doesn't. And, you know, usually the Bishop, you know, you kind of know why in each case, why they're there. And, um, I don't think it's a big concern for me. I mean, I would still extend to them, you know, callings, you know, based on their, you know, based on the promptings of the spirit, but based on their talents and, and, you know, we need everyone. And that's, that's not a, I mean, it's certainly, um, you know, one of the ordinances that we need to partake of for, for salvation, but it's, it's, it's doesn't limit anyone from being able to serve or, um, you know, be a big member, a big part of the ward. I like that answer. And I've, I haven't thought about that very much, but I do remember as a singles word bishop seeing that. And I think in hindsight, I don't know what I did at the time. It's been too long ago, but I think what I do now and help me if this is good advice, I'd probably be willing to meet with each of those people and develop the trust and say, okay, brother or sister, I recognize that you don't hold a temple recommend and you are endowed. Just tell me more about that and tell me if you're okay where you are or if you actually want to get back to the temple and I'll kind of walk with you. You kind of set the you kind of set the agenda here on what you want to do as far as your temple attendance. And if you do want to go back to the temple and that's a goal, I'll kind of walk with you and help you do that. And we can work on that together. But if you're feeling really at peace, you're going to, that isn't part, I'd be okay with that too. Any thoughts if that's okay or? um, Well, I think uh, it's definitely okay. But I think one of the mistakes we sometimes make with our young people when they first go to the temple is we see it as a box they need to check before they go to the next thing, whether that be a mission, whether that be marriage. Um, I don't feel like we always emphasize enough the importance of that um, great endowment. And sometimes it gets rushed over and sometimes they get, they feel uncomfortable. They, they just aren't prepared enough. I know I was not prepared enough growing up in a family where nobody went to the temple. I was the first member of my family to go and was completely blown away, but I had a loving bishop next to me and and I, and I came out okay. But I know a lot of people are just, uh, they weren't prepared enough and they get concerned about things and don't go back for whatever reason. And I just think it's something that we need to do a better job of, of making that, making that an important, uh, thing that, that you have. It's one of the six saving ordinances, um, and making it more important uh, than just a stepping stone to move on to the next thing. I like that. And I think this is, Maybe an example of just this broader issue, you've got a, potentially a range of believers in your congregation from people that attend that maybe don't hold traditional or even um, typical beliefs in the church, but want to come for the community, want to come because a spouse is coming, want to come for lots of reasons, but may not hold traditional beliefs to those that hold very traditional beliefs and just creating space for everybody. Anybody, buddy, we're kind of near the end of the podcast. Any but do you want to share some thoughts on just helping everybody feel like they belong? Well, just the, the, I had one thought when someone mentioned hospital here earlier yeah, and that, you know, in, in a real hospital, the people that are the sickest, we take the most care of the people that are hurting the most. We make sure we put an arm around them and they go, you know, to the intensive care unit or whatever. And the people that are, 
that are doing okay, you know, we, we, you know, we still love them and, and care for them, but they're not, you know, I think we need to act a little bit more like that in our church is that people that are struggling the most are the ones that we should put our arms around and love and, and, and care for the most. Love that. Any more thoughts on this topic before we wrap up? I'm good. Okay. Um, that's all the things I want. Are there things that any of the three of you would like to talk about that I've not brought up? I have a closing thought, if Good. I can add that. And We're this gonna is get you actually to, yeah, there you a go. quote. Um, so David Osler, Richard's uh, brother, is a good friend of mine too. And I had a conversation with him a few weeks ago. And he said this to me, it was through messenger. So I took it down as a quote. And then I talked to him this morning and asked him if I could share that in the podcast. And he told me, and I was he actually welcome. answered a messenger. He, he did. He Way responds go, pretty good to me. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what he said. I think this is just beautiful quote. When this happens in a ward, it gives many hope that it can happen in theirs. The question your Bishop asked is this ward a safe place for everyone is a profound understanding if, of what it means to become like Jesus. I wonder if all of us could find ways to introduce this question in any of our comments in class, in a prayer, in a talk, in a lesson. I think that because of its profound simplicity, it could change a culture, might require multiple times, but it feels true. It feels right. It is right. David Osler. That was pretty awesome, wasn't it? Great quote. <laughs> That's a really good quote. David Osler, by the way, I'll put in a little plug, is the author of a really great book um, out just within the last probably six months called Bridges. If you're not familiar with it, I really think every member of the church should read it, especially anyone in membership. It's so well done. It's available at Deseret Book. And that's my little advertisement plug. But and just tell our listeners what Bridget, the focus of the book Bridges well, I think um, David has served in a lot of leadership positions and um, he's had some experience in his own life with people that he knows and loves who have distanced themselves or changed the way they believe or left the church. And he has spent quite a bit of time really in the trenches with people understanding why that happens and how that happens. And he has a really good grasp on what the difficulties are. And he wrote this book to help exactly build bridges between people so that in families, if we have somebody that leaves the church, we don't distance them from the family. They always have a place at our family table. And the same is true in our wards. And he actually, I, I don't have the quote memorized, but he starts out the book with this beautiful, very humble quote about almost an apology for any mistakes he may have made as a previous leader. You don't know, you don't remember what that That's, was, but it was so touching. It, it was, was so, it was really, yeah, good. it was so humble and the book is fabulous. And, um, everybody I know that's read it has just loved it. So I highly recommend it. It's very topical to the conversations we're having here would really help, uh, bishops and stake presidents to, and Relief Society presidents, really anyone in the church to be able to understand, because we all have people that we know and love that have shifted in, in where they're at, maybe don't attend church anymore for whatever reason. And it's really, really a helpful tool. Can't recommend it enough. I'm so grateful for it. Any closing comments, President Tucker? Um, just to follow up on Jerry Lee's, um, mentioning that book reminded me that 
Um, I love President Nelson's quote that good inspiration is based on good information. And there's a lot of good information out there about the struggles people are going through. And it would be, I really value, what's the word? I really um, learned a lot from podcasts like yours, but also from books like, um, from like bridges. And like, if you want to learn about depression in the church, read silent souls weeping. If you want to learn about women at church, read women at church by Nyland McBain. There's all these um, planted by Patrick Mason. There's so many great books of really thoughtful, faithful members of the church who can help us understand what our brothers and sisters are going through so that we can be more empathetic, that we can do more of that mourning with those who mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort and keeping those baptismal covenants. So we can take more responsibility for that and by learning more about what people are going through. And also, of course, by talking to people and getting their story firsthand, but also learning about the things they're going through, if it's an illness or things like that. So that's also, I think, a really great way to try and help each other and help people feel like they belong is to take the time to understand um, what they're going through. I love that. You said something I don't think anybody's ever said before. It just really struck me, getting their story firsthand. Um, Often we sit in ward council or we talk about somebody that may have stepped away from the church or not coming, and we sort of hear bits and pieces of the story um, and we may make conclusions based on the bits and pieces or what a prior bishop said from another ward before they moved here. But what you said is, <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> like, and I know, but I love what you just said, getting their story firsthand and sort of putting aside anything that we may have assumed. That's really powerful, Catherine. And I just love what you've done going out and hearing these stories firsthand. Um, bishop Barney, any closing comments you'd like to share? Uh, just that, uh, obviously as a bishop, you need to, um, pick great leaders and just stay out of the way, which is what I really try <laughs> to do with, with our ward. The, our ward council is, is so great. And, and it's, it's terrifying being a bishop and it's nice to have them to sort of delegate things to, and just stand back and, and, uh, you know, support as much as you can. And another thing I just wanted to mention is that, um, you know, there's so many things that we can have questions about um, that, that you know, are important to talk about. But if we really think about them, they don't really affect our core beliefs in that, that God is our Father and Christ is our Savior and that the priesthood has been restored and that the church is being restored. That's one of the interesting things about the, the New Handbook. They said, the, the, the uh, Elder Christopher thinks, and I think it is, it says, yeah. as the church continues to be restored, is one of the things he says in that quote today, um, that we, you know, we can have a lot of other things going on that don't really affect those core beliefs. And, and we can hang on to those and, and, know, and, and know that those things are true and feel you know, feel that we believe them and know that our Savior loves us and is our, uh, you know, has atoned for us and still um, hold on to those as we search other things. We'll sign off. We'd like to thank um, Bishop Barney, um, President Tucker, Geraldine Renshaw. We're coming from Geraldine and Lance's home, the Renshaw home. What's that? Can I say oh, one more thing? Oh, and then we're going to... I'm good. sorry. This I, is an I interactive... 
I have to interrupt is, Richard for a minute before he closes because I really want to thank your home. You're in President charge. Tucker and <laughs> Bishop Barney for being willing to do this. I I probably twisted their arm a little bit, so I don't want anybody to think that they came on here to say what a great job they're doing. I had been on a podcast previously with Richard about six weeks ago where I talked a little bit about my ward, and then Richard and I messaged back and forth afterwards, and I said what would be really awesome is to get them both on the podcast talking. Oh, and so that's how this came about. And I approached them with it and I think they were scared to death, but they've obviously done a fabulous job. Agreed. And I just think, yeah, if, if all leaders in the church were as sincere and open-hearted and led with love the way they are leading this ward, that there would be a lot more people in the pews at church. And so I'm really grateful for your willingness to come on and talk about this. I know it's like way out of your comfort zone, but um, (laughs) you've done a great job. So thank you. You're awesome. And thank you, Richard, for doing this with us. I agree with Geraldine. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.